Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I will be talking about five gay actors who I first became aware of in the 60s, who had a profound impact on my psyche, and were five very different people. Charles Nelson Riley, Victor Buono, Roger C. Carmel, Richard Deacon, and the legendary Paul Lind. But first, when people say things like, last one in is a rotten egg, don't let them in. We know what rotten eggs smell like. Get the hell out of here. By the way, I stopped drinking and taking drugs because I did a lot of them a long time ago and have been told to be cautious about the long-term effects. It's just that I've been living with the long-term effects for a long term. The thing about all five of these guys is that they all had a tremendous number of intersections, whether it was The Tonight Show or a relationship with Kay Ballard or their appearance on television programs that presented either science fiction or fantasy. I'm going to start and end with two people who lived what can be described as relatively hedonistic lives compared to the other three. Uh, Charles Nelson Riley was the longest lived and he had what was arguably the healthiest lifestyle of all of them. Uh, Victor Buono and uh, Roger C. Carmel both being a bit on the heavy side and uh, Richard Deacon suffering from uh, heart issues because of his uh, love of gourmet food. Paul Lind being self-destructive with drinking and drugs, and Roger C. Carmel apparently died of a cocaine overdose. So, I'll start with Paul Lind. Paul Edward Lind, from Wikipedia, born in June of 1926 and died in January 1982, was an American comedian, actor, and game show panelist, a character with a distinctively campy and snarky persona that often poked fun at his barely closeted homosexuality. Lind was well known for his roles as Uncle Arthur on Bewitched, the befuddled father Harry McAfee in Bye Bye Birdie, and as a regular Center Square panelist on the game show the Hollywood Squares from 1968 till 1981. He also voiced animated characters for five Hanna-Barbera productions. Lind regularly topped audience polls of the most liked TV stars and was routinely admired and recognized by his peers during his lifetime. Mel Brooks once described Lind as being capable of getting laughs by reading a phone book tornado alert or a seed catalog. 
Lind once said that while he would rather be recognized as a serious actor, we live in a world that needs laughter, and I've decided if I can make people laugh, I'm making an important contribution. Paul Lind was born in Mount Vernon, Ohio, the son of Celia Bell and Hoy Corydon Lind, who owned and operated a meat market. Fifth born among six siblings, Paul had older sisters, Grace and Helen, two older brothers, Richard Hoy and Corydon, Cordy, George, and his younger brother, John, Johnny. His favorite brother, Corridon, died in 1944 at the age of 21 in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Five years later, in 1949, his parents died within three months of each other. Lind graduated from Mount Vernon High School in 1944, where he played the bass drum in its high school band. He then studied speech and drama at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, where his classmates included Cloris Leachman, Charlotte Ray, Patricia Neal, Jeffrey Hunter, and Claude Aikens. At Northwestern, he was active in the school's theatrical productions and joined the Upsilon chapter of the fraternity Phi Kappa Sigma. He is listed among its most famous members. He graduated in 1948 and moved to New York City, taking odd jobs while looking for his show business break. His first appearance as a stand-up comic was at the famed Supper Club No. 1 Fifth Avenue. Lind made his Broadway debut in the hit review New Faces of 1952, in which he co-starred with his fellow newcomers Eartha Kitt, Robert Clary, Alice Ghostly, and Carol Lawrence. In his monologue from that review, The Trip of the Month Club, Lind portrayed a man on crutches recounting his misadventures on the African safari trip he took with his late wife. The show was filmed and released as New Faces in 1954. After the review's run, Lind co-starred in the 1956 sitcom Stanley opposite Buddy Hackett and Carol Burnett, both of whom were starting their careers in show business. That year, he guest-starred on NBC's sitcom The Martha Ray Show. Lind returned to Broadway in 1960, where he was cast as Harry McAfee, the father in Bye Bye Birdie. Charles Nelson Reilly also was in that cast as Dick Van Dyke's understudy, and he had a small on-stage role. Paul Lind also played Harry McAfee in the 1963 film adaptation. That year, he recorded a live album, recently released, issued as an LP record. All six tracks were written by him. Once he could afford writers, he rarely used his own material until his tenure on the Hollywood Squares years later. Now, I read a very unflattering biography of Paul Lind uh, entitled uh, The Center Square, and uh, in the book, the writers contend that he almost never wrote his own material, and he relied on the staff for his jokes, which were all zingers. Lind was in great demand in the 1960s. During the 1961-62 television season, he was a regular on NBC's The Perry Como Show as part of the Kraft Music Hall Players with 
Don Adams, Kay Ballard, and Sandy Stewart. He was a familiar face on many sitcoms, including The Phil Silver Show, The Farmer's Daughter, The Patty Duke Show, The Munsters, The Flying Nun, Gidget, I Dream of Jeannie, and F Troop, and variety shows such as The Ed Sullivan Show and The Dean Martin Show. He was also featured in a number of 1960s films, including Send Me No Flowers and The Glass Bottom Boat, both starring Doris Day. Lynn's best-known sitcom role was on Bewitched. He didn't appear on Bewitched that many times. I think it was a total of 10 appearances. In 1965, Lind made his debut appearance on Bewitched during the first season episode, Driving is the Only Way to Fly. His role as mortal, Harold Harold, Samantha Stevens' nervous driving instructor, was well received by viewers. Lind also impressed series star Elizabeth Montgomery and her husband, director-producer William Asher, who created a recurring role for Lind as Endora's practical joking brother, Uncle Arthur. Lind made ten appearances on Bewitched as the beloved character, the first being The Joker is a Card. His final appearance on the sitcom was in The House That Uncle Arthur Built in the series' seventh season. Paul Lind, Elizabeth Montgomery, and William Asher became good friends and were regularly seen together off the set. Paul Lind was also in Beach Blanket Bingo, a William Asher movie. Lind starred in four failed television pilots in the 60s. Howie, 1962 CBS, Two's Company, 1965 ABC, Sedgwick Hawk Styles, Prince of Danger, 1966 ABC, and Manly and the Mob, 1967 ABC. Of the four shows, only the Victorian detective spoof Sedgwick Hawk Styles, Prince of Danger, was initially picked up by ABC only to be canceled at the last minute. William Asher commented in the A&E biography episode on Lind that ABC had reservations about Lind, most notably his increasingly erratic off-screen behavior and the persistent rumors of his homosexuality. From the Hollywood Squares, question. You're the world's most popular fruit. What are you? Lind Hamble. Question. How many men on a hockey team? Lind. Oh, about half. Question. Who's generally better looking, a fairy or a pixie? Lind. Luxar and everything. I think I'll take the fairy. Question. Is it against the law in Texas to call a marine a sissy? Lind. I guess I'll have to take the law into my own hands. <laughs> Question. What unusual thing do you do if you have something called the gift of tongues? Lind, I wouldn't tell a grand jury. Why should I tell you? Question. The great writer George Bernard Shaw once wrote, It's such a wonderful thing. What a crime to waste it on children. What is it? Lind, a whipping. Question. When a man falls out of your boat and into the water... You should yell, man overboard. Now, what should you yell if a woman falls overboard? Lind, full speed ahead. In 1966, Lind debuted on the fledgling game show The Hollywood Squares and quickly became its iconic guest star. 
Eventually, he assumed a permanent spot as the center square, a move that ensured that he would be called upon by contestants at least once in almost every round. Despite an urban legend to the contrary, Lin remained in the center at the producer's discretion. On the Hollywood squares, Lind was best able to showcase his comedic talents with short, salty one-liners spoken in his signature snickering delivery. Many gags were thinly-veiled allusions to his homosexuality. Other jokes relied on double entendre, an alleged fondness for deviant behaviors, or dealt with touchy subject matter for the 1970s television show. Appearing a total of 707 times, Lynn garnered considerable fame and wealth from the series. He eventually became disenchanted with being what he called boxed into Hollywood Squares, and he departed the series in 1979. But the Hollywood Squares experienced a downward trend in Nielsen ratings, and Lynn was approached about returning to the program. He initially declined, but changed his mind when told he would receive co-star billing with Peter Marshall. He returned to the series in the spring of 1980, and remained with the show until its cancellation in February 1981. In 1972, Lynn starred in a short-lived ABC sitcom, The Paul Lynn Show. The series was a contractual fulfillment to ABC in place of an aborted ninth season of Bewitched. Lynn starred as Paul Sims an uptight attorney and father who was at odds with his liberal-minded son-in-law. The family included wife Martha, Elizabeth Allen, daughters Sally, Pamela Ferdin, and Barbara, Jane Ackman. Barbara's husband's Howie, John Calvin, and Howie's parents, Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. Other critics perceived the show as a derivative of All in the Family, television's then most popular primetime program, although many admitted the writing was top-notch and the sexual connotations gave it an extra bit of spice. Lind was nominated for a Best Actor Golden Globe for the show. Scheduled opposite the first half of the top 30 hit The Carol Burnett Show on CBS and the top 20 hit Adam 12 on NBC, the series garnered low ratings and was canceled after a single season. Lind was a fixture on the Kenley Players Summer Stock Theater Circuit, appearing in Don't Drink the Water, The Impossible Years, Mother is Engaged, My Daughter is Rated X, Plaza Suite, and Stop Thief Stop. In all, he appeared in nine Kenley Players productions more than any other headliner. In the summer of 1980, Paul toured the U.S. and Canada, headlining three one-act plays of California Suite, Plaza Suite, and Last of the Red Hot Lovers, entitled Neil Simon Suite, with cast members Beverly Sanders, friend and bodyguard Paul Baresi, and Christy Siverson. Now, he had television specials and television shows which were just surreal. His shows included the Paul Lind Comedy Hour with Nancy Walker. You can hear my eyes rolling. Lynn's continuing popularity led to his being signed by ABC to host a series of specials from 1975 to 1979, including the Paul Lynn Comedy Hour with Jack Albertson, Nancy Walker, 
who, if you do not know or needed to be reminded, co-starred with Susan St. James and Rock Hudson, pause, in Macmillan and Wife, and she was Rhoda's mother on Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore, and Nancy Walker directed Can't Stop the Music. She was also the cab driver in On the Town. The Pauline Halloween special, which is unlike anything else I have ever seen in my life, and if people talk about the Star Wars Christmas special, it ain't got nothing on the Paul Lind Halloween special, October 29th, 1976, featuring the first prime time network appearance of Kiss, along with Margaret Hamilton recreating her role as the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Hamilton and Billy Hayes, as H.R. Puffin Stuff's Witchy Poo, teamed up in a skit where they ask Lind to help them improve their witch's image. Other guests included Betty White, Donnie Emery Osmond, Tim Conway, and Ross Kelly. It also included Florence Henderson singing That Old Black Magic. The Paul Lynn Comedy Hour in 1977 with Cloris Leachman and Tony Randall. Twas the Night Before Christmas in 1977 with Alice Ghostly, Martha Ray, George Goebel, and Foster Brooks. The Paul Lynn Comedy Hour with Julia Prowse, Brenda Vaccaro, and Harry Morgan. Paul Lynn at the Movies with Betty White Vicki Lawrence, Robert Urick, and Gary Coleman. Paul Lynn goes mad with Marie Osmond, Charo, and Vicki Lawrence. Paul Lynn was a regular guest on the variety show Donnie and Marie between 1976 and 1978 until he lost his guest starring role due to very public drunken arguments with police officers. Now, in the book Center Square, there is a lot of references to and alleged quotations from Bruce Valanche, who wrote most of these television programs, talked about how frequently he had to be bailed out of jail and what a problem he was. Now, he had guest appearances and film roles, but they continued to be scarce for Lind, although it is unclear whether or not this was related to his alcoholism, which made him very difficult to work with. As demand for his services declined, he accepted a wider variety of job offers. Now, uh, there is a documentary called Scotty Bowers and the Secret History of Hollywood, where Scotty was a procurer, basically a pimp, for male hustlers. And the movie was a sort of documentary about Scotty, but also uh, an indictment on the Hollywood closeted culture from the 40s and the 50s, right up until about 1980. Uh, During the film, Scotty, who was in his 90s at the time, came to visit several of his uh, hustler boys. And in one uh, of the segments, he visited one of his former hustlers who uh, claimed to be very grateful to Scotty for providing him an income, which got him the house he lived in. And when they mentioned Paul Lind, he just referred to him as the drunk, which is very unflattering. In 1978, Paul Lind appeared as a guest weatherman for WSPD-TV in Toledo, Ohio, to publicize both the Hollywood Squares and a summer stock performance. And the video of that is available. And he's just 
vamping. It's funny, but it wasn't particularly hilarious. Despite his campy and flamboyant television persona, Lin's private life and sexual orientation were not directly acknowledged or discussed on television or in other media during his lifetime. According to an essay on the website for the Biography Channel, in the 1970s, entertainment journalists did not investigate the private lives of performers who were best known as game show regulars. A 1976 People magazine article on Lind included text about Stan Finesmith, who was described as Lind's sweet mate and chauffeur bodyguard. The magazine included one photograph of Lind with Finesmith, for which they had posed non-suggestively. During Lynn's lifetime, this was as close as the media came to hinting at his homosexuality. Kathy Rudolph, a friend of Lynn's, who published a 2013 book entitled Paul Lind, A Biography, His Life, His Loves, and His Laughter, stated in a 2018 interview that being gay and having to hide it frustrated him. Uh, in the book, The Center Square, which is, again, very unflattering, uh, the authors contend that some of his other issues were his self-image due to his weight problems, as well as his closeted uh, homosexuality conflicts. So he was rife with issues. With the wealth Lind had earned working on Hollywood Squares, he bought Errol Flynn's old Hollywood mansion and spent an enormous amount of money on renovations and decor. He lived there with his beloved dog, Harry McAfee, <laughs> until Harry died in 1977. Afterward, Lind could not stay in the house without him and later bought a new home. Lind struggled with alcoholism and had numerous run-ins with the law, including frequent arrests for public intoxication. Peter Marshall and Kay Ballard confirmed that Lind, when inebriated, became very cruel, sometimes violent, and would sometimes ridicule his friends. In July 1965, Lind was involved in an accident in which a friend, another young actor, accidentally fell to his death from the window of their hotel room in San Francisco's Sir Francis Drake Hotel. Lind was 24 and James Bing Davidson had been drinking for hours when Davidson, while horsing around, according to an Associated Press report, slipped and fell eight stories. In October 1977, Lind was involved in an incident at his alma mater, Northwestern University, when he was the Grand Marshal for Homecoming. At a fast food restaurant near the campus after the Homecoming Parade, he made racist remarks and gestures to Northwestern University professor James P. Pitts. Lind later blamed his behavior on fatigue and inebriation. In January 1978, while in Salt Lake City to record a segment for Donnie and Marie, Lind was arrested outside of a tavern and charged with interfering with a police officer. Lind's vehicle had been broken into and his valuables stolen while he was inside the tavern. The arresting officer had been investigating a different car burglary and claimed Lind kept insisting that he attend to Lind's complaint instead. The complaint was later dropped. 
Determined to get his life back on track, Lind became sober and drug-free in early 1980. So they say. On January 10th, 1982, after Lind failed to attend a birthday celebration, his friend, actor-model Paul Baresi... Now, Paul Baresi was known for being a uh, private detective to the stars... And he also uh, performed in and directed a number of gay porn movies, even though he's a married father of six. Married to a woman. When Paul Baresi and another friend, actor Dean Dittman, could not get an answer after calling Paul Lind on the phone and knocking on his door, Baresi broke into the side entrance to Lind's home in Beverly Hills, California, and found him dead in his bed in the early morning hours of January 11, 1982. Lind was 55 years old. Now, Victor Buono. Now, I love Victor Buono for a bunch of different things. You know, as a kid, King Tut. But as I got a little bit older, I saw Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And he was just amazing. And he was such a young guy to be playing a role. So creepy and great at it. Victor Charles Buono. Born February 3rd, 1938 in San Diego. His occupation is listed as actor, comic, recording artist. Now, the thing about Victor Buono is he was, like Charles Nelson Reilly, a frequent guest on The Tonight Show. Charles Nelson Reilly was a frequent guest on The Tonight Show, and Johnny loved him because Charles made himself available whenever people dropped out because he was working nearby most often on Match Game and lived close to The Tonight Show studios. So he would show up at the drop of a hat and... If you've seen any of the reruns of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, when Charles Nelson Reilly is a guest, he is quite frequently wearing a tuxedo, and he comes out saying he had nothing else to wear because they called him at the last minute, and the only thing he had was a tux. So he would show up on The Tonight Show in a tuxedo and fill in for someone who had dropped out. Charles was loved by Johnny Carson. Victor Buono was loved by Johnny Carson. Uh, Victor Buono was known for his poems and recitations, which were very entertaining and pleasing. Johnny Carson also had a number of gay friends, including Gore Vidal and the one and only Truman Capote. So Johnny was a friend to gay people, and he actually really appreciated everything that Charles did for him. Johnny also had Paul Lind on The Tonight Show, but according to the book, uh, The Center Square, uh, he was not a good guest in the sense that he kept on fawning on Johnny and falling and stumbling over lines and given the opportunity to uh, elicit a few acid tongue zingers that he was famous for, he didn't quite make it. But he was still appreciated although he was not uh, the stellar star that other people like Charles Nelson Reilly with his famous storytelling or Victor Buono with his uh, very uh, appreciated and beloved uh, poems and recitations was. So, back to Victor Buono. He was an American actor, comic, and briefly a recording artist. He was known for playing the villain King Tut in the television series Batman and musician Edwin Flagg in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the latter of which earned him Academy Award and Golden Globe Award nominations. He was a busy actor from his late teens until his death at the age of 43. 
With his large size and sonorous voice, he made a career of playing men much older than he was. He was born in San Diego, the son of Myrtle Bell and Victor Francis Buono. His maternal grandmother, Myrtle Gleed, I think, was a vaudeville performer on the Orpheum circuit. When he was a boy, she taught him songs and recitations and encouraged him to perform for visitors. He started appearing on local radio and television stations and, at age 18, joined the Globe Theatre Players in San Diego. The director had confidence in Buono and cast him in Volpone, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and other Globe presentations. He received good notices for his various Shakespearean roles and in modern plays such as The Man Who Came to Dinner and Witness for the Prosecution. In the summer of 1959, a talent scout from Warner Brothers saw the heavy-set Buono play Falstaff at the Globe and took him to Hollywood for a screen test. Buono made his first network TV appearance playing the bearded poet Bongo Benny in an episode of 77 Sunset Strip. Over the next few years, he played menacing heavies on TV and appeared in The Untouchables. After appearing in a few uncredited film roles, he was cast by director Robert Aldrich in the psychological horror movie Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I can't tell you how much I love this movie. The film starred Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and Bruno played the hapless musical accompanist Edwin Flagg, a performance for which he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and the Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor Motion Picture. The other odd thing about Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was that the guy who stood and took the ad from Baby Jane when she advertised for somebody like Edwin Flagg was played by Bob's Watson. Now, if you don't know who Bob's Watson was, he was a very well-known child actor. He's most notably known for appearing in Boys Town and Men of Boys Town with Mickey Rooney and Spencer Tracy. So if you see that movie again, you'll see the grown-up Bob's Watson standing there enduring the weirdness of Betty Davis as Baby Jane Watson. She was Baby Jane Watson, and she was talking to a guy whose real name was Watson. Shortly after Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Buono appeared in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte as Big Sam Hollis, the father of Betty Davis, who played the title role. The film was also directed by Aldrich. In the biblical epic, The Greatest Story Ever Told, Buono played High Priest Sorak, and in The Strangler, a film based on the actual Boston Strangler murders of the time, he portrayed Leo Kroll. He's also appeared in Four for Texas, Robin and the Seven Hoods, The Silencers, Who's Minding the Mint, Target Harry, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, The Mad Butcher, and The Evil. Now, Buono appeared in the Wild Wild West, and Robert Conrad as Agent Jim West was probably my first gay crush. I think Chad Everett was my second gay crush. Chad Everett was on Medical Center. Though Buono had a vast body of work in movies, he also had extensive television appearances to his credit. One was the recurring role of Count Manzeppi in The Wild Wild West. He also played unrelated characters in that series premiere episode and the second and final Wild Wild West reunion movie, More Wild Wild West, in 1980. 
Buono most famously played the villain King Tut on the television series Batman. A Jekyll and Hyde character, William McElroy is a timid Yale professor of Egyptology who, after being hit in the head with a brick at a peace rally, assumes the persona of the charismatic, monomaniacal Egyptian King Tut. When he suffers another blow to the head, the villain recovers his meek academic personality. The role, which proved to be the most frequently featured original villain in the series, was one of Buono's favorites because he was delighted at being able to overact without restraint. Buono appeared in television series such as Get Smart, Night Gallery, Hawaii Five-O, and two episodes of The Odd Couple. In the 1970s, Buono released several comedy records which poked fun at his large stature, the first of which was Heavy! Exclamation point, as well as a book of comic poetry called It Could Be Verse. He began to style himself as the Fat Man from Batman. During guest appearances on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, he frequently recited his poetry. The most popular of his poems was Fat Man's Prayer, a work often erroneously attributed to Dom DeLuise or Jackie Gleason. It included many widely quoted couplets such as, We are what we eat, said a wise old man, and Lord, if that's true, I'm a garbage can. At oleo margarine, I'll never mutter, for the road to hell is spread with butter, and cake is cursed, and cream is awful, and Satan is hiding in every waffle. Give me this day my daily slice, but cut it thin and toast it twice. In the late 1970s and in 1980, Buono played the millionaire father of the memory-impaired Reverend Jim Ignatowski on Taxi. Buono died before the end of the series. One episode was made where Jim learns to cope with his father's death. Buono was found dead at his home in Apple Valley, California on New Year's Day 1982. He died of a heart attack. Buono liked to read and write, and one of his main interests was Shakespeare. The more you study him, the greater he grows. He was also highly regarded as a gourmet chef. He was a devout Catholic and attended the University of San Diego, a Catholic men's college. In regard to relationships and the implicit questioning of his sexuality, Buono is quoted as saying, I have never heard or read about actors being asked the immortal question, why have you never married? They answer with the immortal excuse, I just haven't found the right girl. Because I'm on the hefty side, no one's asked me yet. If they do, that's the answer I'll give. After all, it was good enough for Monty Clift or Sal Mineo. Bono was closeted, like most gay actors at the time, but lived with boyfriends and referred to himself as a conscientious objector in the morality revolution of the 1960s. So, among his credits, of course, include the story of Ruth, Judgment at Nuremberg, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Robin and the Seven Hoods, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, The Greatest Story Ever Told, The Silencers, Who's Minding the Mint, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, The Evil, Sea Hunt, The Everglades, Hawaiian Eye, Surfside Six, Perry Mason, The Untouchables, The Wild Wild West, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, 
Bob Hope presents the Chrysler Theater, The Man from Uncle, Batman, The Girl from Uncle, Daniel Boone, The Flying Nun, Here's Lucy, It Takes a Thief, Get Smart, The Mod Squad, Mannix, Hawaii Five-O, The Odd Couple, Ellery Queen, The Tony Randall Show, Alice, The Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, Man from Atlantis, Super Train, Backstairs at the White House, Taxi, Fantasy Island, Vegas, and Here's Boomer. Now, Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley. January 13th, 1931 to May 25th, 2007. Was an American actor, comedian, director, and drama teacher known for his comedic roles on stage, film, and television. Riley performed in the original Broadway casts of Bye Bye Birdie, Hello Dolly, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, for which he won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. His television credits include The Ghost and Mrs. Muir and, of course, Match Game, a recording of his autobiographical one-man play, Save It for the Stage, The Life of Riley, was adapted into a 2006 independent film. Charles Nelson Riley was born in January 1931 in New York City in the Bronx to an Irish Catholic father and a Swedish Lutheran mother. When he was young, he would amuse himself by creating puppet theater and his mother often told him to save it for the stage. At age 13, he survived the 1944 Hartford Circus Fire, which killed 167 people in Connecticut, and he was afraid to sit in an audience ever again after that. Because of the event's trauma, he rarely attended theater, stating that the large crowds reminded him of what happened that day. What do you know about that? As he often stated on The Tonight Show and other such venues, that even as the director of a play or stage production, he preferred to sit at the back of the house or back of a balcony near the exits to preview his work including one time where his leading lady's costume caught fire. But on recounting the episode to Johnny, Riley assured him, but you know, these things always work out okay. Riley developed a love of opera and wanted to become an opera singer. He entered the Hart School of Music as a voice major, but abandoned this pursuit when he realized that he lacked the natural vocal talent to have a major career. However, opera remained a lifelong passion, and he was a frequent guest on opera-themed radio programs, including the Metropolitan Opera radio broadcasts. He directed opera productions for the Chicago Opera Theater, Dallas Opera, Portland Opera, and San Diego Opera, as well as the Santa Fe Opera. He was good friends with opera singers Renee Fleming, Rod Guilfrey, Roberta Peters, and Eileen Farrell. How about that? Riley made his film debut with an uncredited role in A Face in the Crowd, directed by Elia Kazan, although most of his early career was spent on the stage. He was a regular performer in comic roles for several summer seasons in the 1950s at the Starlight Theater in Kansas City, Missouri. Riley appeared in many off-Broadway productions. His big break came in 1960 with the enormously successful original Broadway production of Bye Bye Birdie. In the groundbreaking musical, Riley had a small on-stage part and was Dick Van Dyke's understudy replacement for the leading role. In 1961, 
Riley was in the original cast of another Broadway show, the Pulitzer Prize winning musical, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. For his memorable origination of the role of Bud Frump, Riley earned a 1962 Tony Award for Featured Actor in a Musical. In 1964, Riley was in the original cast of Hello, Dolly, another successful Broadway show. For originating the role of Cornelius Hackle, Riley received a second nomination for a Tony Award for performance by an actor in a featured role in a musical. Riley kept active in Broadway shows, but he became better known for his TV work, appearing regularly on television in the 1960s. He appeared as a mystery guest and was a panelist on the What's My Line quiz show. In 1965, he appeared several times on the Steve Lawrence show, which aired for a single season. From 1968 to 1970, he appeared as the bumbler Claymore Gregg on the television series The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, for which he received an Emmy nomination. He also appeared as a regular on The Dean Martin Show and had guest appearances on various television series, including Macmillan and Wife, again with Nancy Walker, The Patty Duke Show, Here's Lucy, Ronan Martin's Laughing, Love Boat, Love American Style. In 1971, he appeared as the evil magician Hoodoo in Lidsville, a children's program on ABC. Riley was a frequent guest on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, appearing more than 100 times. He was a lively and reliable talk show guest and lived within blocks of the Burbank Studios where The Tonight Show was taped. So he was often asked to be a last-minute replacement for scheduled guests who did not make it to the studio in time. Riley was a fixture on game shows, primarily due to his appearances as a regular panelist on Match Game. He was one of the longest-running guests and often engaged in playful banter with fellow regular Brett Summers. He typically offered sardonic commentary and peppered his answers with homosexuality-themed double entendre, which pushed the boundaries of 1970s television standards. From 1976, Riley primarily taught acting and directed television and theater, including Julie Harris, with whom he had acted in Skyscraper in 1965, who was portraying Emily Dickinson in her one-woman Broadway play, The Belle of Amherst, by William Luce. In 1979, he directed Ira Levin's play, Break a Leg on Broadway. Despite the previous year's success of Levin's Death Trap, Break a Leg closed after one performance. Within days, Riley appeared on The Tonight Show, joking and speaking at length about the show's failure, saying, so, a play can open in last six years, eight years, or two hours and five minutes. Magazine and newspaper profiles of Riley throughout the 1970s and 80s did not mention his personal life or sexuality. Years after the cancellation of Match Game, he revealed his homosexuality in his theatrical one-man show, Save It For The Stage, The Life of Riley. Much like fellow actor and game show regular Paul Lind of the same era, despite Riley's off-camera silence, he gave signals on camera of a campy persona. In many episodes of Match Game, he lampooned himself by briefly affecting Yo in a deep voice with the nickname Chuck and self-consciously describing how butch he was. Many years after his game show career ended, he mentioned in a 2002 interview with Entertainment Tonight that he felt no need to explain his jokes about Chuck 
and that he never purposely hid being gay from anyone. Patrick Hughes, a set decorator and dresser, was Riley's domestic partner. The two met backstage while Riley appeared on the game show Battle Stars, although their partnership was not revealed publicly. They lived together in Beverly Hills. Despite sporting what appeared to be a full head of hair for most of his primetime television career, Riley was in fact bald, wearing a toupee throughout most of his appearances in the 1970s and 1980s. During the taping of Match Game 74, his toupee became a joke when he had to go to New York City to have his toupee adjusted. During the taping of several episodes, Riley was seen wearing different hats because his toupee was back in New York waiting for him to be fitted. This was the start of the long-running jokes on Match Game about his hair. He abandoned the toupee in the late 1990s and appeared bald in all of his subsequent public events. He dramatized the experience in his stage show, The Life of Riley. In one episode of Match Game 78, he took off his toupee and gave it to a ball contestant by putting it on his head. Riley spent his later life primarily touring the U.S., directing theater and opera, and offering audiences a glimpse into his background and personal life with a critically acclaimed one-man play chronicling his life titled Save It for the Stage, The Life of Riley. Riley died from complications from pneumonia at the UCLA Medical Center on May 25, 2007, and his body was cremated. That weekend, the Game Show Network dedicated its programming to Riley, airing some of his funniest episodes of Match Game. His career included the films The Tiger Makes Out, Cannonball Run 2, The Wind in the Willows, Body Slam, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Rock-A-Doodle, a Troll in Central Park, Babes in Toyland, An All Dogs Christmas Carol, The First of May, Gaydar, Tom and Jerry, Shiver Me Whiskers, The Life of Riley. On stage, he was known for Bye Bye Birdie, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Hello Dolly, Skyscraper, Private Lives, God's Favorite, The Bell of Amherst, Break a Leg, Charlotte, The Nerd, and The Gin Game. On television, he was known for Car 54, Where Are You?, The Patty Duke Show, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, It Takes Two, Here's Lucy, Arnie, Lidsville, $10,000 Pyramid, Password Plus and Super Password, Match Game, It Pays to be Ignorant, The Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, Uncle Croc's Block, The Flintstones Comedy Show, Body Language, Sweethearts, Goof Troop, Space Cats, Designing Women, Rugrats, The Pink Panther, All Dogs Go to Heaven, the series, The X-Files, Millennium, Disney's Hercules, the animated series, The Drew Carey Show, SpongeBob SquarePants. He did a number of video games as well. He was beloved and by all accounts a great guy. Now we get to Richard Deacon. Richard Lewis Deacon, born in 1922 and died in 1984, was an American television and motion picture actor best known for playing supporting roles in television shows such as The Dick Van Dyke Show, Leave it to Beaver, and The Jack Benny Program, along with minor roles in films such as Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Deacon often portrayed pompous, prissy, and or imperious figures in film and television. He made appearances on The Jack Benny Program as a salesman and a barber, and on NBC's Happy as a hotel manager. 
he made a brief appearance in Alfred Hitchcock's film The Birds. He played a larger role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers as a physician in the bookend sequences added to the beginning and the end of the film after its original previews. His best-known roles are Milksop, Mel Cooley, producer of The Alan Brady Show on CBS's The Dick Van Dyke Show, and Fred Rutherford on Leave it to Beaver. Although Deacon portrayed Mr. Baxter in the 1957 Beaver pilot episode, It's a Small World. He co-starred as Tallulah Bankhead's butler in an episode of the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour called The Celebrity Next Door. Deacon played Roger Buell on the second season of TV's The Mothers-in-Law, replacing Roger C. Carmel in the role. He played Principal Jasbo Conroy in The Danny Thomas Show. In Carousel, the film adaptation of the Rodgers and Hammerstein stage musical, Deacon had a bit role as the policeman who admonishes Julie and Mr. Bascombe about Billy Bigelow in the bench scene. It was one of the few films in which he did not wear glasses, as were his roles in Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy and in the 1954 costumer Desiree, where he played Gene Simmons' elder brother, an 18th century Marseille silk merchant. Philadelphia native Deacon played the role of Morton Stern's butler, George Archibald, whose courtroom testimony is a turning point in The Young Philadelphian, starring Paul Newman. Deacon appeared in some westerns and many sitcoms, including It's a Great Life, The People's Choice, How to Marry a Millionaire, Guestrude Ho, Pete and Gladys, The Donna Reed Show, Gunsmoke, The Real McCoys, Get Smart, Bonanza, The Rifleman, The Munsters, the Adams Family, the Pruitts of Southampton, and an occasional panelist on the Match Game. In 1970, he appeared in four episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies as a psychiatrist treating Granny. Although he was born in Philadelphia, Richard Deacon and his family later moved to Binghamton, New York, living on the west side of that city. Ooh, the west side of Binghamton. He attended West Junior High School and Binghamton Central High School, where he met fellow Binghamton resident Rod Serling. During World War II, Deacon served in the United States Army Medical Corps. In 1946, upon completion of his service, he returned to Binghamton, where he resumed living with his parents. He worked in occupations such as laboratory technician and intern in Binghamton General Hospital. He later attended Ithaca College, first as a medical student, but later developed an interest in acting, engaging in some nighttime radio announcing. Deacon was a gourmet chef in addition to working as an actor. In the 1970s and 1980s, he wrote a series of cookbooks and hosted a Canadian television series on microwave oven cooking. While not widely known during Deacon's lifetime, he was a charitable man. At his memorial service, a number of people previously unknown to Deacon's friends and colleagues spoke of how Deacon had provided for needy people and charitable organizations during his life. Deacon never married. According to academic writers David L. Smith and Sean Griffin, Deacon was gay and was among a number of actors and actresses who were closeted homosexuals working in Hollywood and often employed in Disney films. Deacon died of cardiovascular disease on August 8, 1984, at age 62. His remains were cremated. So many of these guys get cremated. His selected filmography. This is kind of amazing because I never thought that he'd be in so many science fiction movies. But he was in Invaders from Mars, Them, 
blackboard jungle, this island Earth. Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. My sister Eileen, which I recently saw for the first time, and it was really cute. Good morning, Miss Dove. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He was in Carousel. The Solid Gold Cadillac. And of course, leave it to Beaver, the spirit of St. Louis, the young Philadelphians. He was in a summer place. North to Alaska. The Rifleman. Lover Come Back. Of course, in the Dick Van Dyke Show. That Touch of Mink. Another Doris Day movie. Mr. Ed. Who's Minding the Store? The Munsters. The Disorderly Orderly. That Darn Cat. Enter Laughing. The Gnome Mobile. The Mothers-in-Law. Blackbeard's Ghost. Here's Lucy. Rabbit Test. Piranha. The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington. And Murder Can Hurt You. Also with Victor Bono. Now from TVParty.com. The Death of Roger C. Carmel. This was written by Bob Tully with added commentary by Joel Eisner. Roger C. Carmel was a utilitarian television actor, first appearing on Broadway and then as a supporting guest player on a wide range of TV dramas, Naked City, Route 66, as well as sitcoms, Patty Duke Show, Dick Van Dyke Show, beginning in 1960. After dozens of guest appearances, Carmel was cast as a regular in 1967 on The Mothers-in-Law, Desi Arnaz's first post-Lucy production effort. The Mothers-in-Law starred Kay Ballard, what about that? As Kay Buell and Eve Arden, <clears throat> as Eve Hubbard, two longtime next door neighbors who become reluctant in laws when their kids marry. Roger Carmel co starred as Kay's husband Roger, and Herbert Rudley played Eve's husband Herb. NBC had high hopes for The Mothers in Law, but ratings weren't spectacular. The network only renewed the sitcom for a second year when ABC announced they were interested in picking it up. NBC ordered 22 new episodes with one caveat. They weren't willing to pay any increases in budget or salaries. This was customary as a show entered each new year. Even though everyone's contract specifically called for raises for the second season, the producers, crew, and all of the actors agreed to forego salary increases in order to keep the show on the air. All but Roger Carmel, who announced he would quit unless he received a second season raise. Period. Desi called me and put it on a personal basis, Carmel stated at the time. I didn't feel it should be done that way. It was very unfair of him. Then Desi and the Morris Agency threatened I would be replaced. Kay Ballard and Eva Arden also called me and asked me to go along, but I wouldn't. Where else is he going to make $2,000 a week was Desi's best answer. He knew that if Desi Liu gave one cast member a raise, they would all have to be compensated, so he had no choice but to recast the role of Roger Buell. The mothers-in-law was canceled after limping through the second season. Today, Roger C. Carmel is probably best known, and I think so, for guest-starring roles he did on another Desi Liu series at the same time. On Star Trek, the original series... Carmel played the incorrigible space trader Harry Mudd, otherwise known as Harcourt Fenton Mudd, in two episodes of the original series. Harry Mudd, you may remember, was the guy who had the planet of beautiful female robots. He also played Colonel Gum on TV's Batman in 1967. So he was on Batman, as was Victor Buono. Despite the popularity of the Harry Mudd character, another regular role in an ongoing television production series was elusive. That's where the money is in television. Carmel remained a popular sitcom guest star 
with character parts, mostly ethnic, all throughout the 70s on shows like Owen Marshall, All in the Family, Laverne and Shirley, Chico and the Man, and Three's Company. He also appeared in unsuccessful B-movies like Thunder and Lightning in 1977 and Hardly Working in 1981. In 1981, Roger C. Carmel caught a break. Cast as a regular on the network program Fits and Bones on NBC, an hour-long drama, the show starred the Smothers Brothers as investigative reporters. It did? The series bombed, lasting only one month, the lowest-rated series for the entire season. Roles became harder to get after 1981, as Carmel began doing cartoon voices for kid favorites like the Transformers. He was Bruticus, Motormaster, and one of the Quintessens, if you must know. It was in commercials that Roger C. Carmel made his way back. The commercials were very successful, and the campaigns that he were involved in seemed destined to run for a long time. But Carmel's excesses caught up to him. It was widely reported that the actor, at age 54, committed suicide on November 11, 1986, from an overdose of aspirin. I was told, in fact, that Roger C. Carmel died of a crack cocaine overdose while romping with a young male prostitute to celebrate his new good fortune. It was related to me by one of the prostitutes that frequented Carmel's home in 1986. An aspirin overdose story was released to protect the client's image as much as possible. Joel Eisner tells us, Roger C. Carmel signed a long-term contract to provide the voice of Smokey the Bear in PSAs for the Forestry Service, a job he kept until the day he died. He also dubbed the voice of Gert Frobe as Baron Bomburst in the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. If you listen to Gert Frobe in Goldfinger, where he used his real voice and his voice in Chitty, you can tell it was overdubbed. And it sounds just like Roger when he did the part of Boris Severoff, one of Colonel Gum's aliases on Batman. I learned of Roger's death while I was attending a sci-fi convention in Atlanta. I was still running the Irwin Allen Lost in Space fan club and Jonathan Harris, who I was shocked to find out was married and had fathered a child, was one of the guests. During the convention, the news of Roger's death spread throughout the convention, but Jonathan, whom I had known for years, told me in private that he had spoken with Henry Gibson, who was a mutual friend of both Roger and Jonathan, who told him that Roger was having chest pains and called down to his doorman to call him a cab to go to the hospital. Minutes later, the cab arrived, but no Roger. The doorman waved the cab away and never thought to check on Roger. They found him later dead on his apartment floor. It was also implied that he had been using cocaine. That's from Joel Eisner, author of the official Batman Bat Book, Lost in Space Forever, and the upcoming The Price of Fear, the film career of Vincent Price. Well, there you go. All five of these guys had an enormous impact on my perception of reality and life and characterizations of people, and they entertained me wildly. Uh, I love them all for a bunch of different reasons, and I think they should be immortalized as gay icons, regardless of how they lived and died. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. Thank you.